Welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of MixArtist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. This is the Production Talk podcast, episode 29. Welcome back to another episode of the Production Talk podcast. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that the following conversation is recorded on, the Araquil people of the Bundjalung Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. Today, in this episode, I'm very glad to introduce my friend Sophia Stone, uh, who I've known for many years and who I mixed a song for not too long ago. Sophia is an amazing multi-instrumentalist. She plays the drums, she plays guitar and she sings. She's an amazing songwriter and uh, I'm just very happy to talk about this one song in a bit more length. So today we're going to speak about the story of the song, where it started, how it came together. And uh, then in the week after, we're going to uh, look a little bit further uh, into the mastering process. So let's cut straight to the good stuff. Here is my interview with Sophia. Welcome Thanks, yeah. and thank you so much for making time today to, to speak to me. And uh, I'd first like to hear a bit more about yourself. So tell us about your love for music, some highlights of your career. Introduce yourself, please. Okay, so my name is Saf, or it's actually supposed to be Sapphire, but no one could ever say that growing up. So most people call me Sophia or Saf. Um, and yeah, I've always loved music from just a, a really young age. I think for me, it was sort of an escape, I think, just from mm -hmm. the madness of the world, which I became aware of from a, a young age that the world's a bit of a, or at least it felt a bit mad to me, the world. So I think um, for me, music just played a good part in being able to escape that or it sort of made me feel a bit more normal. I think mm. and it's something that I could relate to and um, and just, yeah, it, it's always been the backdrop to my life. If I'm feeling good or bad, I'd always put, you know, music on that would reflect that. Um, but usually, yeah, that I think I always seem to go for happier music. I think that's always like I think you're the same like reggae and um, I just sort yeah. of really enjoy listening to uplifting music and uh, rather than the, the love ballads or the, mm. the more sadder songs. But, um, and so, yeah, when I was young, I sort of realized I was quite good at music because my mum put me into music lessons. And then very quickly I was able to pick up the instruments better than the people in the class. So they, they actually put me up quite a few years above what I should have been in. And so I sort of realized, wow. okay, I'm sort of quite good at this. Um, how old were you? I think I was, I think it was five when I started playing the recorder, but I don't think that really counts. Cool. As an instrument. Oh, well, of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> it <doesn't. laughs> That's cool. Not sure about that. But, um, and then I moved on to, I think it was the violin. Then when I was like seven or eight, And then wow. after that, the flute, and uh, and then 
I turned 13, I think it was, and I became really interested in like guitar and, and drums and more sort of like the rock, the rock music and the rock instruments. Cool. That's, and yeah. in addition, you're also an absolutely phenomenal singer. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> thank you. you're pretty much an entire band all in one person. Sort of, yeah. Sort yeah. of. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, and the and singing thing was always, I think I was more shy about singing when I was younger and I, that's something I sort of had to really work on and am still working on it to be more confident with my singing and especially letting people listen to my singing and singing in front of people. I think that's still something I'm, mm. I'm still working on. But, uh, yeah, put me on a drum kit. I'll play for a million people, no problem. But uh, yeah, I've, always, I've always found singing quite um, a vulnerable sort of thing to do. It definitely is. But yeah. isn't that also the beauty of it? It is. It is also mm. the beauty. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so that's why, yeah, I'm, I'm 36 now and I finally got the courage to release some of my singing music. So that's a bit of a late bloomer there. <laughs> great, yeah. great. And uh, did you join bands as a teenager? What's what's your musical career like? Yeah, I, so when I was uh, 16, I had like a girl band with um, two of my friends. I think one of them you actually know, Nairi. She's Declan Kelly's sister. And she was the drummer in the band. And I sang with um, another girl and played bass as well. And uh, cool. we were called Jip Rock, and we had a bit of a, a run there in, oh, in that's Bondi. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so we used to play at all the pubs and that. Um, and then I played in a reggae band called The Front with some pretty awesome reggae musicians. There was when I was, uh, I think, 21. And, um, and then I just decided I wanted to travel the world, and I didn't really want to do anything too much specifically and I just sort of played music where I could you know if that was busking on the street in Hawaii or just getting up wow. a, <laughs> an open mic night like in Mexico or in LA so yeah I just sort of did more like freelance um I guess you could call it freelance music busking if that's I mean that's what busking really is but yeah <laughs> that's wow. uh, yeah that's really cool That's really cool. And uh, you also have a significant background in music production. Um, mm -hmm. You worked in studios in Sydney, is that right? Yeah, you, yeah. So I first... Can you tell us a little more? For sure, yeah. So I did my, as that's how we met. I did my Bachelor of, of Audio there at SAE. And that, yeah, that led to some great jobs. I think the best being the job I got at Forbes Street Studios in Sydney, which is connected to Universal Music. So suddenly I was, you know, like in a studio with some really big acts like Tiger, um, the guys from NXS, um, Sean Kingston, just, you know, amazing Universal artists were coming through and I was sort, wow. of, sort of felt like a fish a fish out of water. Or, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but that was really, Don't we all? <laughs> I hope so. That makes me feel better. Occasionally. <laughs> Do we all feel that way? That's good. But, yeah, so I think that was um, the first time I actually felt like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm actually a proper sound engineer or a producer, mm. I should say, because I think the, the word engineer, I always imagine someone, you know, who can actually, like you, who can actually fix desks and 
knows what they're doing <laughs> with electronics, but um, at least a producer, I can say, I can definitely do that. My kids would call that a nerd or a geek. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. cool. Uh, just recently you released your song um, Long Road Home. Yeah. And I'd love to hear a bit more about the story of this uh, song. How long ago did you write the song? The song was written about um, three or four years ago. And I didn't actually write the original version of it. It was um, written by my friend Scott, who used to work in radio, and he's sort of like late 40s, and he wrote this amazing song, which I just thought captured so well, like a lot of older women's experience in life, um, like l looking for love and not having quite found it yet and wondering, you know, is this going to happen for me? And um, so when he showed me this, this, just the lyrics he'd written and he showed me the lyrics and I thought, this is such a great song, you know, like this encapsulates my experience better than I could have written it. So I decided like I ended up changing some of the lyrics and we put, um, you know, I, I came up with a melody for it and he put some chords to it. And we both love blues, so we decided to make it a bit of a bluesier sound. And, uh, yes, I didn't write it myself. I co-wrote it with this guy called Scott Muller. And, um, yeah, that's how it came about. But it's funny because this, this guy can just write songs that it's almost like he is a woman somehow, the way he, <laughs> <laughs> he can get into the mind of, um, of how women feel and think. So, yeah, I think I might try and write some more songs with him. Because uh, it's it's nice when you meet someone who can sort of sum up how you feel and think better than than you can, and mm. you can just sort of rearrange it and add on it. Well, okay, it's it's a really touching song, so I, I can <laughs> can relate to that. Yeah, um, tell me how the song has changed over the years. You know, when we if we went back, let's say four years, when you wrote it, was the song of a different structure? What was different back then, and how has it progressed? How has it evolved? Yeah, well, the song, uh, once we recorded it, it pretty much has stayed the same um, since then. And I didn't do much with it because I didn't think it was that great. But then when you actually were offering your free test mixes, I thought, you know what, I want to see what this song would sound like with a professional uh, mixer doing it. And then when you sent it back, uh, it was the first time I actually really heard the song as being great and then that's what gave me confidence to to sort of think maybe this actually could be a release and uh so yeah you you really played an integral part because otherwise I think I would have just kept it there in my iTunes library and not done too much with it oh thank you yeah <laughs> well that's really good that's really good yeah um, so you're saying that the song is basically still the same version as it was right at the beginning when you wrote it Yeah, so the song itself has really stayed the same. It, I think it's just more the the elements of the mixing and the mastering yeah. that has actually brought the song alive. Um, okay. Other than that, the yeah, the songs pretty much stayed the same. Um, just because I think if there, there's definitely things listening back to it, I'd love to to add in like a you know an organ and and add in like a few ad libs to the vocals, but. I just think, and I think, again, you actually taught me this, like sometimes it's just good to leave a song 
and just put it out there because you could spend your whole life changing things and trying to get it perfect. And then that's Mm. an obstacle to you actually just putting it out there. Like sometimes it's just better to put it out there and then move on and work on a new song. And so I think, yeah, that that was actually you that gave me that pep talk there on the beach. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, just put it out there. Um, Which actually I needed someone to tell me that because otherwise I probably would have been like, oh, it's not perfect yet. Maybe I'll just wait till I find an organ player and then I can release it. So that, thank you for the advice because that actually, that was the thing that gave me the, the push to, to put it out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's really good. And uh, when you wrote the song, were you fully clear about the instrumentation? Did you have the full, you know, arrangement and, and instrumentation already in your mind? I guess you probably just started with guitar and vocals or something. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. You know, you added additional instruments. Uh, the song was pretty How did that come to play? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, the song was pretty much already done as far as the guitar and vocals was concerned. And uh, at the time, I had a, a recording studio in Surrey Hills with um, with Declan Kelly, who I know you know, and uh, this other sound engineer called Drew Bissett. And um, so I said to Scott, like, let's just go and record it and see what we come up with. Um, we actually used. We didn't record live drums. I'm not sure if I told you that, but um, there's these awesome like drum loops you can download off the internet and they've been recorded by like the best drummers in the best studios with the best audio equipment. So uh, we found like a drum loop and beat and sort of made it that we liked it. And then we just started to track the guitars and did like a guide vocal so that we could lay everything down. And yeah, there wasn't really much plan to it. We just sort of played around with... Um, even just the microphone positions and recording techniques and um, some of the vocals I sort of added later, uh, like the ones in the bridge, I think, the ooze that sort of mm. with, with the nice effects that have been put on it and the things that you added, it's sort of you, you're not quite sure if it's a vocal or like what, I, what exactly is that effect. Um, that all just sort of came about just like, yeah, playing around in the studio and just uh, recording stuff and seeing how it sounded. So I think nice. um, I think that's the beauty of being the producer and recorder of your own song and having your own studio is that you can afford to just mess around and yeah. and take time to just be like, what does it sound like if I do this? Um, yeah. So w- when you say you, you had your own studio where you recorded, how can we visualize that? Was that like a professionally fitted studio? Was that a home studio or rehearsal room or... To describe the environment in which the song was recorded. Okay, so yeah, I'd say it's uh, so it's called. It's actually still going there in Sydney and Surrey Hills. It's called the Nest, and uh, De- okay, yeah, Declan and Drew still have it. I think someone replaced my third chair of it, but I would say it's sort of like halfway between a professional recording studio and a home studio. Uh, so we actually we got most of the materials to build it from like upcycling, like recycling stores and reverse garbage and things like that. We used all that to make the sound absorbers and the the acoustic cool. panels. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then we just all sort of collectively threw in all the audio gear we had 
um, which was actually pretty good that we could use each other's stuff. And uh, together we sort of had quite a nice collection of microphones and audio preamps and um, we had a bit of an, like an old console that I think no one used, but it looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'd say it was um, somewhere between a home studio and a professional studio. Cool. Cool. And you were basically involved in patching it all together and making it work. And the patching, the not so much. Treatment. I think more the stapling of the material onto the sound panels and uh, painting yeah. the walls and shopping for the materials and stuff like that. Um, patching, I would love to learn, but I think that I might need to take an, another course for that one because <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand it. Yeah, you need a geek for that. <laughs> a geek. Yeah, geek. yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what I need to find. A geek boyfriend, if there's any any geeks out there who are single, which I think most Plenty. of them are. <laughs> But, uh, um, yeah. Okay. And um, okay, and, and then you started with drum loops. So uh, did you work in uh, in a DAW, I guess? Yeah. So I was, I was working just on my MacBook Pro in Logic Pro X. Mm -hmm. And the reason I love to record in Logic rather than Pro Tools is I just find the ability to sort of copy and paste and, uh, you know, time stretch and all, all those sort of things that it just feels very intuitive to me. So yeah, we just recorded straight, straight into that. And same with the, uh, the drums, I just sort of copied and pasted bits I liked and made it. So it sounded like there was a real drummer there. Fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, well, Logic is super capable. I love my Logic. You love it as well, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's great. I think Good. once you go to Logic, it's mm. sort of hard to go back to Pro Tools. It, <laughs> that's at least what I've experienced in talking to people. Would you say that's true? Oh, look, uh, you know, I love all of them. You know, they're all good for certain things and, you know, not so good for others. And it's for me, it's all about using the software to their strength. Yeah, true. So uh, I don't mix in only one DAW. I just literally choose it according to the problem in front of me. Okay, yeah. And, and find the best best tool for it. So, you know, nobody really cares how we record it or what software we use. And, you know, once the song is out, that's completely irrelevant. So what, whatever exactly. feels right for you is, is the right tool, I guess. That's very true. Yeah. Mm, okay. And um, we haven't really spoken about the bass yet. So the bass, uh, Scott actually played the bass on this one because he's a okay. phenomenal blues guitarist and um, he actually can't play the bass, but he just sort of... Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It was, but because he, he knew his guitar chords so well, he was like, oh, let me see if I can come up with a bass line. And he just sort of like nailed it the first time and it was perfect for the song because it wasn't too much and it just sort of sits in the background. And um, I liked the fact that it wasn't perhaps if I'd actually got like a proper bass player to come, they would have played too much. Um, so I sort of liked the fact that mm. he wasn't a bass player and, and therefore he wasn't sort of um, doing too much. Although I guess any good bass player would also do the same thing it's like good drummers you know good drummers know that yep. less is more and the less you sort of uh stand out with your instrument on the track the better um mm. actually I was just talking to a while back to Terrapi about that and he was he was saying you know if um if people if he does a gig and people say you know oh the drumming was really great I loved your drumming he actually 
thinks to himself, oh, I didn't do a good gig tonight because the best compliment he can get is if people say, oh, wow, the music was great because that means he did his job properly. Like he made the, oh, wow. the musician mm. sound good rather than trying to be like, look what a great drummer I am. So I think. Yeah, yeah, got, got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I really like that yep. concept of, you know, trying to, um, if you're playing, I think especially instruments, is trying to make the other musicians sound good rather than thinking, do I sound good or, you know, how good am I going to come across with my instrument? So I think, um, yeah, I like that concept. And I think I try to, I try to do that a bit uh, with my playing, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's that's really wise. <laughs> yeah. Ma- yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Great. So, okay, and then you had the, the drum loops and, you know, the bass and, and the guitars, and you said that was recorded to, to a guide vocal? Yeah. Was that right? Yeah, just mm-hmm. to a guide. And then at the end of it, after you recorded all the instruments, you just chucked that and replaced the vocals? Yes, I think I did a guide vocal and then we did sort of like the rhythm guitars and then I did like a proper vocal take so that the lead guitar could sort of bounce off the the vocal because there is oh, always yeah. sort of that that sort of call and response I think that happens a bit with the, the vocalist and the lead guitarist mm, uh, okay yeah, yeah. so I, if I had a, a used the guide vocal then I guess the guitar player couldn't uh you know have really gone off if he done some crazy lick and then I'd end up doing like a different vocal take, it's not going to really work. So, yeah. So we did the final vocal take and then we sort of added on all the extra lead guitar bits. Fantastic. So you, you sort of recorded the foundation first and then the vocals and then you added the extra bits around it. Exactly. Is, is that right? Yes, exactly. That is such a smart workflow. I like that a lot. I actually do that myself when I uh, when I record, which I don't do that much anymore. But you know, that's awesome. that's a really good concept. I like that. I like that. Cool. Nice Thank one. You. Nice one. And um, at, at what stage did you know that everything was recorded? You know, did you go through a process where you were rethinking about your performances or re-recording things, maybe, or were you just happy straight away and knew that's it um I think I was never happy with (laughs) anything really um except for all the the bits that I wasn't doing I loved the the guitars and and the bass and the drums um but yeah I think it's a bit of that um I'm not sure if it happens to all musicians and singers but I pretty much hate everything I do so I think um I just recorded lots and then chose the bits that I didn't hate as much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> well you're very uh, critical with yourself <laughs> I, I think I don't, I, apparently it's quite mm. common that a lot of uh, mm. musicians don't like what they, they do but they also have yeah, a, I know. <laughs> they also have this urge to, to put it out there so it's sort of like a curse yeah. you yeah. hate it but you also have to, to do it a producer can really help to, uh, you know, make decisions on what's not good enough yet and what's ready. Definitely. And so sometimes yeah. another, yeah, another person can can make these decisions better. A hundred percent. Not always. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But I think a cool. producer's crucial. I've really come to realize that, like, as I've, mm. the further I've gone along, because it's you do need someone to, I think, uh, put their input in and yeah, to encourage you or to be like, yeah, no, you're right. That's crap. <laughs> so yeah definitely I think um most 
I think if you look at most successful artists in the world, they have either co-produced with someone or had an amazing producer or they've had amazing songwriters. Mm. Like um, I was just watching something on Netflix the other day about um, most of the songs we hear on the radio are all written by the Swedish songwriter Max Martin. And uh, most of them were actually like recorded and produced uh, there in Sweden at his studio, and like you, you'd never know it because they're so humble, the Swedes, and they all have they all. Uh, have you heard of it? It's called like Gentelagen. It's the Swedish. I have never heard about that. Please explain. Uh, okay, so Gentelagen is this thing where you're not supposed to like brag about your successes or talk about really anything you've accomplished or how much money you have, all that sort of thing. So it's, mm. it's a really big sort of like Swedish unwritten law. And uh, so that's why, yeah, no one's really heard of Max Martin, who's pretty – he wrote everything from like Hit Me Baby One More Time, Britney Spears, to like all the um, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande songs that we hear on the radio. He's been involved in all of that. and But because wow. of uh, Gentelagen, he just keeps very humble, very – low key but i think that's why people um enjoy working with him as well because they sort of get all the credit um but, so <laughs> where was i going with that i've lost my train of thought um uh, that that's cool yeah that's a great story yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah cool look you know a producer can be very hands-on and very involved or it could be just you know somebody who just offers a second opinion every once in a while you know there's everything is possible That's true. And yeah. uh, getting a second opinion from, from other people is always a good idea, I reckon. Yes, and definitely. That's, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, from the right people, of course. Yeah, yeah Say, exactly. um, Before you sent the, the song off for mixing, um, was there much editing necessary? Did you spend, you know, hours crossfading and, you know, moving little snippets and notes around? Yeah, like not too much. I think I wanted to, especially with the vocal, just keep it quite raw. Yep. Um, so I think the the editing was more a creative element rather than mm. uh, I wanted to sort of keep it quite close to the original recording. Yep. Yeah, nice. That makes perfect sense. I, I guess, you know, in some ways the, the degree of editing or the time spent editing already um, sets the, the, the production in, in some ways, you know, it can make it really polished or natural and earthy. Yeah, and definitely. I, I find that, you know, long editing sessions can be very soul-destroying, uh, very <laughs> yeah. tiring, very boring. Uh, I, I don't enjoy, you know, spending a day just editing Tom's or something like this. That's a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And drive you, can drive it's you nuts. painful. It's so painful. Yeah. yeah. I can do it, but I don't enjoy it at all. And it's not always better because, you know, things have been edited to death. Exactly. I remember you telling us that story about we'd spend all night, um, editing something and you, because you are such an audio, uh, I don't want to say nerd, but you're... A oh, yeah, you can say <laughs> that. That's fine. I'm good with that. <laughs> Because you're such an audio nerd. You, you timed the editing markers to the time signature or something. You, you, you'd done some mathematical equation uh, in line with the mixing, and then you went to bed being like, I'm a genius, this sounds awesome, and then 
you listen back in the morning with fresh ears and then you're like, oh, I've just wasted a day of my life because it sounds yeah. terrible. And What have I done? Look, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something I would have done in an earlier life when I was younger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Look, I think I learned a lot along the way and I probably learned when to stop and when yeah, it's enough. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Then I had to learn it the hard way. Yes, yes. I've, I've overdone it more than once and had to backpedal and, you know, go back to an earlier saved version. But, 100%, uh, yeah. What I, what I uh, do religiously whenever I produce is uh, every once in a while, whenever I accomplish a certain production step, I make a save-as version of the session. So, you know, I, I record something and call it, you know, recording session. And then once that's done, it goes into editing. And then once that's done, it goes into mixing or whatever. And there's always a save in between so that I can go back in case I find myself steering in the wrong direction, which in all honesty, has saved me more than once. <laughs> I've taken bad turns in production many <laughs> exactly. times. And it's just really good to have a little library of, of you know, previous versions of, of the production to, to fall back onto and say, okay, the last day needs to go in the bin. Let's go back a step. Exactly. It can be really good. All it takes is a little save as. That's it. Yes. I think that the save as has saved many people, I think, yeah. Yes, yes, that is so true. Yeah, the save as has saved many people. I think we all have a tendency to to over edit and over mix, and and usually the earlier ones are quite often the better ones. I mm. I think as well. Yeah. Yes, some people say that uh, the rough mix always sounds the best, which uh, well is sometimes true, not always, but that's that's also because it's not you know it's spontaneous. It's just what happened in the moment and it's there's no time for overthinking and you know overthinking i believe is a big problem in music production and you know with all the technology that we have it sometimes steers at that us that way i, I think you know so it's a good reminder to not overthink and just if it's good just leave it leave it alone i reckon yeah? that's enough 100 i agree i think yeah yeah. <laughs> so tell me more about arranging a song. What makes a good arrangement in a song? How, how do you know that an arrangement works? Or when do you know that arrangement needs, you know, a bit of refinement? What, what do you look for when you write songs in, in arrangements? Oh, that's a, yeah. Arrangement. That's a good question. I think that's something I'm still learning about more. Um, I tend to follow the the generic sort of, you know, I think everyone would like to write a hit song or unless you're just putting music out there that um, doesn't follow any sort of format, like, a, you know, the Bohemian Rhapsody sort of example. <laughs> yeah. um, I think, yeah, most most arrangements <laughs> they were just like we're just gonna do whatever we want mm. and put it out there but I think yeah most songs do sort of tend to follow that hit song arrangement of you know verse pre-chorus chorus verse pre-chorus chorus bridge chorus chorus and I think people do that because it works and it seems to be satisfying to listen to and and for the brain and uh and yeah, generally not longer than three minutes seems to be. Although now with all, you know, everyone having ADD because of Instagram and things, I think songs are actually getting shorter. I've noticed people like listen to like the first maybe like a minute and a half of songs. I think songs are actually going to, mm. I think we'll start seeing that songs are becoming um, shorter now. And it, even like on, you know, TikTok and, and these these apps, that, you know, if it's, if it's longer than a minute, you can't even post it. So I think um, 
I'm curious to know how that's going to actually affect song arrangement and, and song time length. But mm. yeah, in terms of that's arrangement. That's a really good thought. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think everything's changing. But I think, yeah, arrangement, I just sort of follow the, the pretty standard uh, generic formula. And as long as I think the yep. emotion comes across well and it's somewhat creative, I think that's sort of what I'm going mm. for. Okay. And um, what about the instrumentation? You know, when you write a song, how, how do you intuitively know that this song needs, I don't know, uh, you know, grungier guitar or uh, more open chords or finger picking or organs? Do, where, where does that all come from? Or do you experiment a, lo uh, um, a lot? Do you just try different things and see what works? Yeah. That's how, a how do you come up with a good question. instrumentation? Hmm. It's kind of a... For me, it's more of like a philosophical question, I think, because... Yeah, definitely. Where does it come from? You know, often I think uh, a lot of musicians are sort of channeling when they just, you know, pick up a guitar and start playing and something comes out and they say, you know, every guitar has a song. If you pick up a new guitar and <laughs> you start playing a song, you're like, where did that come from? Um, and mm. I think same with music, often music I hear things like if someone's playing some chords I'll hear like a melody or hear a cool sort of guitar pick and um and same with dreams like I've often heard my songs completely rearranged and with extra instrumentation in my dreams and I wish I could record oh, my wow. dreams because yeah I think apparently it's quite a common phenomena that people do hear songs and um and hear their songs and their dreams a bit different or with changes and um yeah i wish there was a, a dream recorder that we could record our dreams because the songs in my dreams are amazing so well, yeah that sounds like something you should uh, invent <laughs> and make millions i know <laughs> i might need your help with that though yarn because uh i, I, I know wouldn't where know where to start yeah. <laughs> no idea <laughs> but well you know Yeah. So yeah. So where does it come from? I, I'm not really sure. I guess mm. it comes from um, just uh, the creative, the zone, or the um, some sort of a brainwave frequency. I'm not. I'm not really sure on that. What What would you say yeah. the answer is to that one? About the instrumentation? Yeah. Or? Like, where does it come from? Mm. Well, uh, I'm just curious. I think everybody's got a different answer there, and yeah. Uh, yeah. it's just you know hoping to find out more about. You know your thoughts, but um, yeah. look, I, I don't think there's any wrong or right. It either works or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, then you know you've got to do something about it and change it. But um, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, workflows are always just a tool, and uh, a certain workflow might fit one person, but might be super inappropriate for somebody else. So it's it's okay to have different workflows, and some people just know it instantly, and others need to try everything first before they know. Yeah. There's, there's really no wrong or right, you know, as long as you get to the, to a good outcome, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Mm, yeah. Good. So, and, you know, in the timeline of, of uh, the production of, of this song, eventually you get to the point where you um, passed it on to, to a mastering engineer. Uh, I'm very curious to find out more about your thoughts. How, how did the song change when it went through mastering? Yeah, so I think the the biggest elements I noticed from the mastering is it, it just sort of sounded finished and polished. And I also was able to hear what you had done on the mix a lot better. 
and the, the sort of intricate elements and the textures that you had added in, which I could hear, but then suddenly it popped. And, mm. um, and then another really big thing is that, you know, it's, um, it's radio friendly and it, it's at the right decibel for, for Spotify playlists. And cause I can't remember exactly, is it 12? Oh, this is testing my memory now. I think it has to be, is it minus 12 dB to go on? No, no. Oh, I, <laughs> I've forgotten, but maybe you can tell me. Um, yeah, to go onto Spotify and all these playlists, it, it does have to be at a certain uh, decibel frequency, which I've completely forgotten what it is. Yeah. Somewhere between 12 and 14. Yeah. Look, the industry actually doesn't agree on anything yet. Oh, and, okay. Uh, all the that's the problem. The uh, different players use different reference levels uh, for their loudness normalization. And um, Spotify used to be um, different than all the other services. Mm -hmm. And eventually, just uh, not that long ago, maybe a year ago, somebody please correct me if, if I'm wrong with that, but they changed their internal measurements to loudness units or LUFS as it's called, yeah. which is the modern, more modern method of, of measuring loudness and therefore fell in line with the rest of the industry or followed up or finally followed suit with what you know everybody else was doing but um, the level at which they normalize volume is not standardized across the platform so what apple does is different to what spotify does and that's different again to what youtube does so there's no simple answer there okay but um, th the good news is that because loudness is normalized on the playback devices, we don't really need to think about it too much. We shouldn't see this as a target that we must fulfill. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I, I would always recommend to just use the dynamic range for a song that suits the song. And for a, an EDM, uh, high-energy uh, techno song, that would be very different than you know, a, a film score or a death metal song or what have you. And each song has their different needs. And that's the beauty of it. We can just mix and master for the song, for what the song really needs. And if that then be, ends up louder or quieter than everything else, the loudness normalization will just balance that out later. Right. So that's the advantage. Okay. We shouldn't see this as a target that we must fulfill. Yeah. Although some people say so, mm -hmm. but in my personal opinion, I believe it's it's uh, just do whatever it takes to make the song good. Yes, and not that, that's yeah. that's really what it is, you know. And um, yeah, and then loudness normalization will take care of the rest, basically. Right. Yeah. I, I like mm. that, and I think mm. that shows you are a, mm. a true uh, artist, mixer, and engineer. Because <laughs> I think most people just try to get their songs on onto Spotify or wherever as loud as possible. And, uh, and there is, there has been a big thing about some people having their songs mm. louder than others, um, through various means. So I think that the normalization yeah. Look, doesn't, what really happens these days is the louder you make it on the, in the production, the more they turn it down in Spotify. <laughs> that, that's effectively, uh, yeah. um, what happens. And there's not much to be won because, you know, with high loudness comes negative side effects and they remain, even yes. if they turn it back down on, on the other end. So, yeah. um, I think that we live at a time where judging mastering just by loudness and making the loudness, the measure of how good it is. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a bit of a foolish thing. That's a thing of the past and it didn't serve the industry well. Yeah. So instead just, you know, Close your eyes and ask yourself, do I enjoy the song? 
Yeah. Does it sound natural? Does it sound the way it's I intended it? And that's the best question to answer. And it's a good time to be. You know, that's that's the beauty of our time. And I think that's also what will shape the sound of, of this decade, I hope at least. Yes. Bring back that mm -hmm. dynamic range. People going back to <laughs> yeah. yeah, bring back a touch yeah. of dynamic range, you know, or the dynamic range needed for each song. You know, some songs don't need much dynamic range and they just don't want to be loud start to finish. And that's fine. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong about that. That's true. Whatever yeah. suits the song, I guess. Yeah. I know it's really hard to get a black and white yes no answer out from me. <laughs> I never do that. Or very rarely. <laughs> Good. Nice one. Look, um, Uh, I have another interview with uh, the mastering engineer of your song, awesome. so which will then uh, air next week. Wow. So a little preview here, and uh, we will talk about mastering mainly, but we will probably steer back to your song as well to some degree. So maybe we'll hear some more secrets about what was done cool. in the next episode next week. Awesome, looking so, forward to hearing. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to change the subject a little bit. Okay. Um, I know it's so much effort that goes into the writing and performance and recording and editing and mixing and mastering of a song, but that's actually only one half of the entire uh, picture. You know, once you get it back from mastering, that's actually when the work starts. You know, now you need to get it out there and publish it, and that's not good enough either. You need to you know, bang the drum and make some noise and draw some attention to the song and promote the song. Um, and that usually happens through social media. And I've, by my observation, you're very uh, out there uh, on social media. You're very outspoken, uh, very omnipresent in many ways. So what are your secrets? What, what, what needs to be done once a song is out? Now, how can one use social media effectively to draw attention to, to, to music? That's a very good question, and I'm not sure I, I have the answer to that either. Um, and, well, give me your take. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think that there's two paths you can go down. This is sort of what I've come to realize. You can do all the – there are these formulas out there of, you know, how to get your music heard and use hashtags and put it, send it to all these different mm. playlists and pay for people to put it on there. Instagram pages and various platforms and there is sort of like that path I think you can go down. Um, I'm not really sure what path I'm going down. I think um, I'm just sort of trying to experiment uh, with just seeing how far it can get organically, um, yeah. <laughs> which isn't going too well. So I think I'm having, I'm going to have to perhaps implement some of these tips and strategies that these are experts are saying to do, uh, which I actually need to do because I haven't put enough time into it. But yeah, you're right. It's very time consuming. This, this is the part where the real work I think starts. It's easy to, to I think, write a song and record mm. it and put it out there. But yeah, to actually get it heard, I think is, is the harder bit. And I think number one, you know, it has to yep. be a good song because I think if it's a good song, it will mm. naturally People will just be like, oh, listen to this song and have you heard that? And it will just, you know, start getting picked up. Uh, so I think that's number one, have a good product. And then, yeah, number two, I don't know, I think I tend to be a bit silly on social media. I like to often just have fun and make funny things um, 
But yeah, I'm not really sure yep. what I'm doing on there, to be honest. But I, I'm glad that you think it looks <laughs> like just I know. Natural, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I'm glad that it comes across yeah, that way to well, you. Well, to me, it sounds like or yes. feels like on, on social media, you're definitely an extrovert. Yeah, no, you're not holding back. There's always something funny happening, and always, always something. And oh. I guess that is already a big part of your, of you know, why you are so strong on social media that you're just consistently putting things out there. Okay, well, that's good and to know. that just seems to be your that seems to be just your natural way of, of dealing with uh, social media. So that's that's a, a huge advantage that you have, and uh, play that card is what I'm trying to say. Oh, you thank know, you. Play yeah. that card. Thank Use that you. for for your for your music as well. Great, I will. I'll keep doing that. I'm glad to hear that. It's I, I mean, if it, sometimes I wonder if uh, the things I put out are just ridiculous, but it's good to know that. Uh, you find it funny and, and perhaps it's just my way. Absolutely. Of... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> perhaps I'm sure there's some. Keep it up. Keep it up. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank uh-huh. you. I think we have to be, um, I think social media has become such a strange and sort of weird place now that we almost have to make it a bit funny in some ways. Otherwise, uh, I think if take it too seriously, it's, mm. it's just uh, this sort of, it's a creepy uh, data. Uh, it, you know, if it's it, have you seen the yep. thing on Netflix called Social Dilemma? Oh yes, I have. You've wow. seen it. Yes, yeah. yes. I, recom- I recommend everybody to check it out. Um, wow, that's deep, deep and scary. Yes, it's very mm. it's very scary to think that everything you're putting is just yeah. really being collected for data use, uh, so that they can use it against yeah. you to sell you stuff and and y- y- knowing mm. how to pitch advertising to you. I think that that definitely makes me a bit creeped out. But um, yeah, I think as you said, you know, use things to your advantage, and there's definitely lots of advantages to social media, especially when it comes to promoting music. And yeah, I don't think mm. I have any tips because I don't really know well, what i'm doing okay. i'm just trying Look. to work it out also, <laughs> well, you, you naturally do do really well so well, thank you but yeah. uh, look, if uh, listeners are curious and want to find out more about you and and uh, listen to your song uh, where can they find you they can find me on all good streaming platforms <laughs> which are spotify apple music itunes i think there's actually 120 stores that have my music on it, like online stores. Uh, so pretty much everywhere wow. I think that you can st- um, Excellent. play music. And, uh, yeah, just look up Sapphire Stone. So that's S-A-P-H-I-A and then Stone. And uh, I should come up with my first single, Long Road Home, and, and hopefully there will be some uh, more singles which are coming up very soon. I was just about to ask, you know, what's cooking at the moment? Have you got any projects going? Is there anything you want to share, maybe? Yeah, I've actually got another song. I've got this song called uh, Mr. Miller, which I'm going to release soon. I actually just need to get it. Um, I was going to get it mixed by you, but I don't have the original um, session anymore because it was such a, a long time ago. But once I get it mastered, I'm going to release that. And then I sort of was going to just record some more music on my own, which is because I am, even though it's funny, you think I'm an extrovert, I'm really a huge introvert and I really enjoy working on my own and by myself, but I'm going to push myself this year and see if I can actually get out of my comfort zone and record music with 
other people, whether that's, you know, someone like yourself or um, like producers that can add their flavour to it because I think that it is so important to have, as you said, two heads are better mm. than one. Um, so that's what I'm definitely going to focus on this year is, is um, collaborating and, and trying to get some more music out there with other people's help because wow. I think that's really important. I'm very much looking forward to whatever's in the in the pipeline there. So keep us posted, please. I can't wait. Thank you, Jan. To, to see what your next songs are like. Oh, thank you. Good, Seth. Thank you so much for making the time today. Um, I really appreciate you sharing all of this with me and my listeners. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. And uh, I felt very um, complimented to be asked even to be on it. So thanks for having me. You're most welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sophia, for appearing on the podcast. Much appreciated. I took a lot out of it. It's always good chatting to you. So next week, we are changing the focus a little bit. Uh, we talk about mastering. And with us will be a mastering engineer from the biggest mastering facility in the country, who also mastered Sophia's song, Long Road Home. Uh, talking about the song Long Road Home, please uh, stop by the show notes. Uh, I put a link in there. You can listen there directly. And I would also appreciate if you could rate and review this podcast in your podcast application. And your five-star review would make a world of a difference to me. Thank you so much. Also, if you want to stop by our Facebook community group called the Production Talk Podcast Community. If you want to have a chat on Facebook with me, I'll be there to answer your questions. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. I'll speak to you next week. Bye for now.